You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Hello and welcome to Orange County's longest running business talk show. And I am your host, Rick Franzi. We have an exciting show planned for you. Why do you ask? That's because Tracy Sirachi is our guest today. She's the CEO of the Mark USA Incorporated. Tracy, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me, Rick. I'm super excited about doing this. So thank you. Yeah, I'm excited about talking to you about your business as well. So you've owned this business for a little over four years. And I'm wondering, take us back to when you did your due diligence. What was your original motivation to acquire this business? So I think my original motivation were was twofold. One, it was an education company, or at the time, it was focused purely on academic evaluation, and it was a way for me to give back. I'm, I always say I'm the product of uh, two educators. So my mom is a retired school teacher, was a kindergartner and second grade teacher, and my dad is a PhD. So this is a way to kind of return to my roots, so to speak, since I was the individual in our family who went on the business side. So I always joke I was on the dark side. <laughs> so I think one thing was returning to my roots, and the other was... Um, Focusing on family, like one thing that at the time I had just had my daughter who was a newborn at the time. So depending on your perspective, some people would have thought that was crazy to venture out on your own, just having given birth um, to new baby. But I think at the same time was a huge opportunity. So I think for those that are listening, considering um, this time period in our life, 2022, it's a very opportunistic time for a lot of people. So help me to understand how you came about finding and selecting this business as the business you were going to purchase versus maybe other options you had at the time? So I was lucky I had an advisor. So I had a business broker who was assisting me with the process. I was pretty clear on what type of businesses I would be best suited for acquiring or looking at. Um, I knew that, you know, you can go out there, you can buy laundromats, you can buy car washes, you can buy parking lots, you can buy anything. It's truly similar to the residential real estate market. You can buy anything. Um, But it's really thinking through like what kind of business you'd be best suited for. And for me, I'd been in the service industry for, you know, 20 something years servicing clients and specifically B2B clients. So business to business. And so for me, it was really looking at a particular company that was similar in nature in terms of the service business and working with the business broker who was able to really look, keep her eyes out, so to speak, for those type of businesses. A lot of it's opportunistic. And I think for those that you know are looking to acquire a business, but not necessarily work with the business broker, it's really getting the word out that you're interested in a particular type of business. And who knows in your network who might know of somebody that's looking to sell or looking to uh, be acquired. But consistently every single moment of the day at every single point of the day, there are companies being sold and bought all the time, right? And I think sometimes as an individual, we don't necessarily think of the marketplace like that because it's not every day that we go and acquire a business or become an entrepreneur. But I think it's definitely an alternative. Um, People tend to think of entrepreneurs purely as, you know, running startups or starting from ground zero. And so this is really an opportunity to look at entrepreneurship in a different way. And given my background, you know, I was in, I was experienced with advising companies and scaling them. And that's what I knew I could do versus I tried different things kind of in the startup realm and 
felt that it wasn't as good of a fit, even though I loved the passion and the excitement. So it's just knowing yourself and I think being able to answer specific questions about what's best suited for you. So if you could take us back, you know, I know you probably deliberated about the decision to purchase a business for a while, but once you engaged and you thought, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, act, I'm an active potential buyer. How long was that process from that moment until you actually closed and took the keys to your new business? It took about nine months. Um, initially, people thought that it was going to take, you know, 30 days or 60 days. Right. And I think like the banks and the and the lenders and everybody that's involved in the transaction, they want it to be 30 to 60 days. <laughs> yeah. But realistically, I mean, for you as the buyer and in, in my particular case as the buyer, the due, due diligence process takes time. Right. And you'll find as you're researching that organization, you'll start to uncover certain information that you have questions about. Right. And so for us, the reason why it took longer was really looking at the due diligence process. And there were questions that I had about the actual value and purchase price of the business and going back and negotiating that. And so, you know, like I said, it's a process. So that was kind of an unexpected um, anomaly. It wasn't anything bad. It's that happens all the time. Parties go back to discuss things, renegotiate um, terms, things like that. So for us, it was just taking longer. And the other piece was I was acquiring a business that I didn't have a former profession in, which mm -hmm. is atypical, right? Usually you want to buy a business that you already know really well and you're already in that profession. I would say the only reason I was confident in what I was doing is I've always entered, I guess, the unknown in terms of business areas. So I've never really had the technical background or expertise. An example is I went to work for an accounting firm, right? The big four, PwC and Deloitte, had no accounting background, had only had two classes in, as an undergraduate, graduated with a political science degree, and basically learned everything on the job in the interview and spent my entire career primarily in transfer pricing, which I learned on the job. So I was an associate all the way up to a director considering, you know, taking the partner track. And I had learned all of that purely on the job, right? So my comfort level in the unknowns and not necessarily having the um, formal education, I guess you could say, was something that I was comfortable with. So literally during the due diligence process, it was understanding like, what is the business model? Could I scale this? What are the fundamentals of this um, industry known as evaluation, which I'd never heard of until I was doing the due diligence process. Um, and I think for many folks don't know what evaluation is. Um, and so it was literally taking the time to understand that. So you've owned the business four plus years. So obviously you purchased it pre-COVID. I'm just wondering uh, what impact did COVID have on the business? Did it create any serious challenges? Were you, uh, were you, were you ever feeling that your purchase was at risk because of COVID? Or how did you avoid disaster during COVID? So I think one key thing is when I was doing the due diligence, I'd ask the former owner like what her experience was during the recession, right? Of the mm -hmm. last one, meaning 2007 through roughly 2009. And she had actually started the business in 2007. And so... Um, it was hard to really gauge fully how resilient it would otherwise be during a recession. But the idea that she'd started it during a recession or the top of a recession gave me a sense for um, the resiliency. So I'd say similarly to, um, you know, fast forward to the past couple of years in the pandemic, like other organizations, we have 
um, you know, seen a decrease in revenue, but not as large of a decrease or as large of a um, decline per se than other businesses. You can, you know, you compare it to retail or restaurants or, you know, the like, it's completely different, right? But at the same time, like as a service business and because of our lot of our work is tied to government funds and community funds, um, government is otherwise spending during those kind of downturns. And the other piece is because we're tied to community-based um, work, obviously the public sector and stuff is always necessary during a recession or in a boom, right? So um Key factors like that, I think, are important when you're looking at acquiring a business or getting into business, right, is seeing certain patterns as to, um, you know, why things will occur and, you know, how how is the business going to respond? I think similar to other organizations, you know, we need to hire people and we can't necessarily find the right individuals with the right skill sets or we need more people of a certain type of skill set. And that's been a challenge. So, um, we face similar, you know, challenges as other organizations, but I think what's beneficial is that because we're a service-based business, we're also able to adapt. We don't need a brick and mortar. So for mm-hmm. instance, you know, two months after the pandemic, we went hundred percent remote before that we were a hybrid model. Um, and that's easier to do because people just need computers, but they don't need the brick and mortar, right. Of the actual institution. And most of our stuff was already saved to the cloud or, or backed up on, you know, G drive or whatever it may be. So our ability to adapt um, has been a little bit easier by nature of, you know, being a service business. But again, we have similar challenges where people are in different locations geographically and in their homes. And so do you have the proper infrastructure of tools to support, you know, day to day, Um, productivity and execution of work. And I think for us, you know, we had a lot of cloud-based stuff because we were hybrid. So we were probably better positioned than other service-based businesses that maybe were still less reliant on the cloud and things like that. But again, we're still focused on cybersecurity protections, right, of information and, you know, adaptation of technology to make us more agile and more adaptable to circumstances. So, we're still improving systems, processes, and frameworks just like everybody else. And the rate at which we're trying to do that um, is quick and fast, and it's challenging, similar to other organizations. So we're definitely not an exception per se, but I'd say we're better positioned than you know other companies and industries just because we've been more forward thinking about how yeah. we approach things. And congratulations or kudos to you for finding the opportunity within the challenge and redesigning kind of the model, I'm sure not having the brick and mortar in some ways is a benefit to the business operating costs as well. And, and so that, that, that's, that's good that they were able to pivot. So let's, let's and it's pivot. a team. Like I think it's a team-based business is critical too, to your point, because I appreciate the acknowledgement as the leader of the organization, but to your point too, it's really our team that's doing all of the physical like changes along with me. And so um, I really credit their tenacity and their grit because without them and without the team, we would not be where we are. Like it's right. by far your human capital. There you go. Especially in a service business. It's true in all companies. Maybe it's magnified in service-based businesses where they are the product in many ways. So let's let's pivot now to actually... What does your firm do? Explain your value proposition and your service and delivery of 
what is it your company does? So I think the best way of explaining it without getting too technical is we help implement a data framework in an organization. And people are probably thinking data, they're thinking technology, they're thinking all kinds of things when people say that, right? But it's really a framework on how to think about your data, how to even apply data to an organization, and what's the mindset that one has to have, I think, in terms of um, adopting that kind of thinking, right? And I say it's really, truly a framework of thinking because Often people are talking about applied data and data-driven decision-making, and they're forgetting the human aspect of what that takes. Um, People fear data, people fear numbers, people fear a lot of things. And so really meeting people where they're at in terms of what they're comfortable with and being able to help them to be less fearful of a process or a framework or data in general, I think is really crucial and critical Um, Oftentimes, you know, the shortcut way is we try to focus on technology and whatever the technology is measuring, that's what we'll adopt. Mm -hmm. But that's not always the best um, way to approach it because you spend so much time on the technology without really understanding what the technology is trying to achieve. And then you get frustrated and upset and then you spend all this money and then you got nowhere. Right. So I think, you know, for us, our approach is really around what kind of things do you want to measure? What do you want to achieve? In other words, what outcome do you want to achieve? And then thinking through the framework that you're going to adopt so you can measure and validate whether or not you're achieving those results. And if you aren't achieving those results, where are your gaps within an organization? And I think that's critical and crucial to resource deployment so you know where to allocate uh, money and time. But also at the same time, you're also able to see hey, look at the success we're having too. And I think to be able to celebrate those successes as human beings as well, because oftentimes we're always looking to what's not done and what hasn't been achieved. And sometimes we don't look at what has been achieved. So um, having that accountability and transparency also has its benefits, but also at the same time, being able to connect people within an organization so they can talk about similar information and commonalities and functions of specific goals so that they're all connected and working and moving in the same direction, I think is really crucial. So Um, Tracy, can you give me a use case or two as an example of how you've helped companies use the data to the benefit of their strategy? Sure. So one example is we're working with organizations where um, they're usually smaller businesses where they need market research done, but they need market research done at a more detailed level. So it's understanding, you know, which market should I enter and why, and being able to customize the survey instruments and the data collection tools to answer very specific pointed questions that the organization needs to understand that it's not getting from, let's say, industry reports or it's not getting from um, existing resources out there. Like they want to ask very specific questions to very specific parties or people. And they also want to maybe aggregate that or combine it with publicly available information to get to a specific answer, right? Another way that we work with organizations is, you know, consumer insights. Like I want to better understand who exactly I'm serving and how much are they buying and why are they buying or why aren't they, or why aren't they buying, right? Behaviors and psychology and identity that goes into um, day-to-day purchases of services and goods but aren't necessarily acknowledged when it comes to asking questions or sending out customer surveys, right? So that's one example. Um, On the nonprofit and academic side, 
you know, for nonprofits, it's being able to measure their program effectiveness. If I'm serving the homeless, um, who am I serving, but also how am I serving them? And what changes am I able to see in the population that I'm serving as a result of my efforts, right? So now you're able to better describe to donors and funders what you're doing and how you're doing it and why you're doing it and the changes that are occurring in the community or in the social setting, right? And then for academics, a lot of it is related to research funding. A lot of individuals are working on a lot of great research and they're being funded by different federal agencies and they require an evaluator to be able to ascertain how is this research um, being applied to the community or shared with the community? What is the response been? How is it contributing to education? How is it contributing to potentially workforce development? Um, and assessing different aspects of um, research that our federal government is also aiming to um, focus upon too. So those are three very different ways in which right. we work with clients, but the commonality across all three is really around using statistics and data. And number two, really understanding the effectiveness of the work that's being done and understanding what areas exist in terms of gaps so that somebody can do it better. So it's almost performance benchmarking to a certain degree in the context of different sectors or industries. So it seems to me that you've evolved the business model since purchasing the company because you're all about scaling, as any entrepreneur would be, about scaling your, your enterprise, the business. So how have you uh, evolved the service offerings of your company since you purchased it? So originally, 100% of the business was purely focused on academic evaluation. In other words, we focused upon evaluating federally funded research grants, right? And that was purely 100% the focus. Over the last, you know, four and a half to five years, it was now branching out into other areas based on that common core skill set. And like I said, when I was doing the due diligence process, my background was in the consulting and I saw different industries I also had experienced and seen different markets globally because of nature of different clients in different countries. And so for me, when I was looking at the business, it was like, okay, based on my understanding of the business model and what the core skills are of an evaluator, how else can I see it affecting the marketplace? How else can I see it affecting different sectors, different people groups, different um, parties? But at the same time, acknowledging that there's common denominators across these different sectors and across these different groups, regardless of how different they think they are. Right. So for me, you know, coming from the opposite end, I guess sometimes people think academia and the for profit sector are complete opposites. Right? right. They're really not. Right. All of us in some ways are related to each other. And so it's understanding how could you take what otherwise would be an applied research in some ways, government tool, which is what it started out as for evaluation, how could we evolve it, right? But be the leader in that too. And so something I'm really passionate about, as you noted, aside from entrepreneurship and scale is innovation. How can you take something from one area and relate it to another area? It doesn't have to be like the latest and greatest thing. It could be to that new sector, to that new segment, right? 
but you're taking something from another segment or another industry and you're applying the same thing. And as a business consultant and, and working in the industry for so long, that's literally what you do on a day-to-day basis. Right. That is literally what you do on a day-to-day basis. You would talk to distributors about what somebody was doing in the manufacturing sector, or you would talk to manufacturers about someone what somebody's doing in the government sector. I mean, you're constantly having and brokering these conversations around language and connectivity and commonality. And so I see us as a company as being that broker, but of different sectors and industries and using evaluation as that conduit to be able to accomplish shared goals across different sectors and different industries and working together. And so far, like, you know, we'll identify opportunities in the university or college setting that benefit government or government things that are being done in the federal government space that will benefit nonprofits. I mean, it's amazing how many different connections and different opportunities. And it's all because it comes down to one key piece, which is people. Mm -hmm. And as a society and as a community, we're all working towards trying to achieve more and achieve better things. We're just doing it in our own bubbles, our own silos. So... That's a great growth strategy. So uh, entrepreneurship 101, ladies and gentlemen, you just heard it from Tracy is, and and I could not say it better than what you said. So I'm just going to let that go and have people reflect on how you're using core competencies to expand into new markets. I, speaking of innovation, I know you're hosting your own podcast now by the name of Driving Outcomes. Can you tell me and the audience a little bit about the genesis of the show and what's the focus for the show? Sure. So I started driving outcomes, I think in 2020. So right after the pandemic. And it's interesting because I'm not really one that likes to um, publicize or talk in groups. I'm definitely more of a one-on-one person. And so this was new territory for me. Um, And I think the best, I had to change my mindset around it, right? And really just imagine myself, you and I talking and nobody else is in the room. And then that way it'd be easier to talk. And people find that funny because I'm, I'm a talker, right? Of all the people, I'm a talker. Um, but that's just me in terms of being shy. But Driving Outcomes was really an opportunity to showcase um, not only the work that we're doing, but the work that our clients are doing. And the work that our clients are doing that isn't necessarily broadcast or shared more broadly, but people could benefit from it. So an example is for some of our researchers, they're working on some pretty phenomenal work and they don't have necessarily the opportunity to really share it with a lot of people outside of academia or the university or college environment. And so with their permission and with, you know, and being able to talk to them, it was like, hey, would you be willing to share what you're doing? And the precipice behind it is I like to challenge thought. Like I like people to be able to learn and to grow, but to change. And the only way that you're really able to do that too is to really ask probing questions Mm -hmm. and to really stimulate dialogue and really um, get people sharing and talking about different things. And so driving outcomes is really exactly how we labeled it. Like it's driving change, driving transformation through dialogue and being able to have parties aside from our researchers, but also our nonprofits share what they're doing and how they're thinking about solving homelessness or food insecurity different than the next nonprofit, right? And so some of the individuals that we've had on there, you know, are really looking at nonprofit work from a different lens and different perspective where it's how do we eradicate food insecurity, right? Most people are like, how do we help more people who don't have food Right. Um, 
the individuals we have on a lot of our podcasts are like, no, how do we like eradicate food insecurity? So Laval was really instrumental in terms of one of the um, podcasts that we did. And that's who we like to have on our, um, you know, podcast. So I welcome anybody, you know, to join us. And we like to challenge thought. We like to talk openly about different topics and circumstances. And I think it's just a really safe place to be able to share one's thoughts and challenge people's thinking, right? And so in a couple of minutes, I'm going to ask you how people can connect with you, et cetera. So we'll also tell them how they can find your podcast. So we'll, we'll, we'll sit on that for a second. I just have a couple other things I want to go over with you here while I have you on the show. Where do you go? Where have you gone? And where do you continue to go to get access to peer entrepreneurs who have insights and experiences that are helping you to kind of mold the business, but also grow and thrive in your business? So I think like you mentioned, finding other entrepreneurs is key. I'm involved in like two different groups. One is um, Pinnacle with Allison Maslin and her group. So she'll have like masterminds and roundtables and it's full of different entrepreneurs that are, um, you know, sharing their business and you collaborate together, you consult together and you have a mentor that's provided. I also work with one of my friends and uh, business school classmates, Sharon Travatsa, and he helps to mentor and also has his own mastermind and other peers from different industries. And so those are the more two formal ways, but personal connections and business connections of the way in which I get the information. But there's so many like resources available, I think, in terms of peer groups and mentor groups. And that's really how you're going to get your ideas and the support you need, especially when it's lonely or sometimes when you're you know, crying yourself to sleep because you can't figure out what to do as a leader. I mean, everyone's had their moments and oh, yeah. their challenges, right? And so it's seeking out, you know, supporters. I also have like personal mentors and friends, um, like you and I mentioned that we have in common, like Richard Ward or Marla Noll, like individuals who I've gone to know over the years who are constantly asking me how I am, how they can help. And you just have shared heart, right? Shared heart for the world and change. And so Finding your circle, I think, of people and constantly expanding that circle to involve new learners and new people in it is super important in terms of having like the growth mindset. I think you and I have spoken about that. Like having a growth mindset is everything in terms of not limiting your ability to accomplish so much more or do so much more. So let's talk about tomorrow. Speaking of accomplishing and doing more, can you describe the vision you have for your firm? So the vision I have for our firm is that, one, we make evaluation almost a common household name, no different than who are the leaders in accounting firms or management consulting firms. I want us to be the leader in evaluation and for people to not ask the question of what is evaluation or, you know, why is it, what does it do or what's the value? I want people to know that across the board. And I think the other thing is to set an example for other businesses that you can do good and you can focus on the social and public sector as your core business and succeed at it as a business entity. I think setting that and changing, um, you know, misconceptions that you can't make money by serving nonprofits or you can't Mm -hmm. like, those are misconceptions and misnomers. If anything, I think we can do so much more to benefit community and society by changing that mindset. And so I'd like to be known as the company, you know, on Forbes magazine or whatever it may be in the business community for having the core focus on people and community and to be an example of what a successful company looks like by being centered on those things. So that's my vision for us. And I hope we achieve it. 
I have high confidence in you and your team, so it'll be exciting to watch. If someone would like to connect with you, learn more about your firm, start listening and following your podcast, what do you suggest they do, Tracy? So I think the two main ways is I'm on LinkedIn. So Tracy, T-R-A-C-I, Shirachi, S-H-I-R-A-C-H-I. Um, you can also email me at tshirachi at the Mark USA or reach out through our website, which is themarkusa.com. Those are kind of the three ways that, you know, I'm happy to schedule a conversation and discuss, you know, anything just like we're doing here, Rick. So really appreciate that. Well, it's been fun to spend time with you both today and in our earlier conversation. So I want to thank you for giving a bit of your time, Tracy, for our audience today. Thank you so much for having me. Enjoyed it. And I'd like to thank the audience. You've been a part of Orange County's longest running business talk show. Tracy's episode is episode number 1377. If you're an Orange County entrepreneur and you have a story to tell, then let's connect on LinkedIn uh, or my website. I'm Rick Franzi, R-I-C-F-R-A-N-Z-I. That's my LinkedIn profile and also my website. Uh, maybe we can have you on a future episode like we had Tracy on today. Until the next time we have a chance to be together, I hope all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction.